We're continuing in our two-part series of messages that we've entitled, Consider My Meditation. Today, we conclude this two-part series, and on the screen, I have an aerial picture of a spot there in southern Israel, and you can see that there's kind of a rectangle outline there. Can you see that from this picture? It is the spot where over 2,000 years ago, over 5,000 Roman soldiers were camped there, and they were camped in siege of this uh, plateau called Masada. This was in AD 73, shortly after the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, and a group of Jewish zealots, about 900 of them, fled to this spot on this plateau. It formerly was Herod's fortress, and they were camped out there. A Roman garrison came, and you can actually see, this is another angle of it, you can see that this is the remains of the camp of the Roman garrison. This place is so remote that you can actually find where, find where they camped over 2,000 years ago. And they laid siege of this place. And what they did was they built a ramp up to the walls of Masada, the Roman uh, army there. And they built a battering ram and broke into this fortress. This was a common tactic that was used up until the Middle Ages. They would build these fortresses and then they would attack and For our passage today that we're going to be looking at, we're going to see that Paul uses this analogy to describe an element of the Christian experience that we all go through on a daily basis. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, 1333, if you're using the Bible there in the pew. And here Paul uses the analogy of going to battle against a fortress, the same type of um, military operations that took place back in the first century, Paul is using to describe an element, an aspect of the Christian experience. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. We'll just read 3 through 4 for this part of our presentation here this morning. For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. You can see the analogy. Other translations say the pulling down of a fortress. You could see that there's a battle described, an analogy, a conflict, a struggle that Paul is talking about. He's talking about pulling down a stronghold. This is a battle, a war, that is not a physical battle, but a spiritual battle. As you read on in this passage, you'll see that this is not talking about the great controversy, per se, between Christ and Satan. This is talking about a conflict that we all experience internally, and this battle is against something called self. Notice the language here. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. He's talking about the battle that we each experience day in and day out. This is a battle for the heart, for the mind, the battle against self. And we're told in Steps to Christ that this is the hardest battle that we all face. The warfare against self is the greatest battle 
that was ever fought. Likely, you fought this battle when you got up this morning, or attempted to get up, I should say, when your alarm clock went off. You know how it goes? You have bright aspirations of when you're going to get up in the morning, 4 a.m., 5 a.m. I'm going to spend time with Jesus. The alarm clock goes off, and then there's a struggle, right? There's a part of you that says, I should get up, spend time with God. And there's another part of you that says, oh, this bed feels so warm. It feels so good, right? A conflict. The battle that you went through this morning, and then there's another battle that you'll likely experience downstairs. You eat enough. Something tells you you should stop. But then Bill Wilson brings by the cake, right? <laughs> and you know you shouldn't eat it, particularly today, and there's a battle. One part of you says stop, and another part of you says Man, that looks so good. The struggle. And then with the media, part of you tells you, you shouldn't be watching this. Another part of you says, I really want to watch it. An internal struggle that each one of us face, a warfare. And notice that in this passage, the devil is not even mentioned. I'm not saying that we don't have a controversy with the devil, but the greatest battle that we face is within us not outside of us. It's the battle against self is the greatest battle that has ever been fought. And in Romans chapter 7, there is a description of this battle, and Paul uses the first person tense to describe this experience. And I used a modern translation because it helps us a little bit to identify with what is taking place. Romans chapter 7, verse 19 and 23, I decide to do good, but I really don't do it. How many of you go through this? New Year's resolutions. I decide to do bad. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. We experience this on a regular basis. Every single day, we go through this battle. We go through this battle of what our conscience wants us to do, or what our conscience is telling us to do, and what our flesh is calling us to do. Paul goes on in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. For the sinful, the flesh, desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. So in our human nature, we have this conflict. And this diagram summarizes what Paul is talking about. This is the war that each one of us experience. You pro some of you probably went through this conflict here today. Do I stay at home or do I come to church? Praise God. You came to church. Amen? Between the flesh and the spirit. Now, the flesh is the sinful nature, lust, the carnal nature, and the passions. The spirit is the conscience, the moral sense of law. Now, prior to sin, Adam and Eve in Edenic perfection had what they would call a balanced mind. The spirit was controlling the passions, which meant that when he walked by a fruit in the Garden of Eden, he saw that it was appealing. He would look at, I don't know if they had a watch back then, they didn't need one. He said, oh, it's not time to eat. I'm not going to eat it. He, his, 
his passions, his appetite was under the control of reason. After sin, this was reversed. And every person born into this world is born with a opposite of what Adam and Eve had before the fall. Right now, each one of us struggle with not only the carnal nature dominating the spiritual nature, but it has been twisted. It has been warped so that every child that is born into this world is born with a sinful inclination to sin. And this is the battle that we face each and every day with our carnal nature. Romans chapter 7, verse 18, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. This is the conflict that we each face. Now, what do we do? This is the challenge that we have being born into this world that our flesh will rule our will. We cannot help ourselves. This is why we deal with habits and addictions, with tendencies that we simply cannot overcome. Because when we're born into this world, our will is enslaved to the flesh. Apart from Jesus, there is no hope of overcoming our sinful nature. So what do we do? What is the solution? Steps to Christ 47. This is one of my favorite quotations. Quotations, everything depends on the right action of the will, the power of choice God has given to men. It is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections, but you can, what does it say? But you can choose to serve him. You can give him your, what does it say? Your will. He will then work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure, which means there's not enough self-help books in the world that will help you overcome your sinful nature. This is the only solution. You must give God your will. You can't overcome without this step, and this is the ground of the Christian experience. It's called conversion, and this is what it looks like. This is how you give God your will. You can pray it right now. You can pray it. I pray that you pray it every single day. Then the language of the soul will be, Lord, take my heart for I cannot give it. (laughs) Take it. I can't even give it. It is thy property. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of thy love can flow through my soul. This is called surrender. Lord, take my heart. I'm a mess, for I can't give it. I can't control my thoughts. I'm addicted. Help me. I give you my will. This is the step. This is what we call surrender, and this is the point of what we call conversion, the experience that each one of us must take. This is before conversion. The flesh, the will are intertwined. The will is enslaved to the flesh. Then after conversion, we give God our will, And what God does is he comes down and strengthens our will so that now we can choose between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. Before, we could not choose. We had no choice. Fundamentally, it comes down to one choice, giving God your will. After that, he gives you the ability to choose between the flesh and the spirit. Now, this is one of the most fundamental confusions in regards to the Christian experience Because some people assume that after conversion, you no longer deal with the sinful nature. 
I, I wish that was true. <laughs> there are some people out there that actually preach or believe that if you're struggling as a Christian, you're not really converted. They say if you're struggling, that's evidence that you have not fully given your heart to Jesus. But here we can see that after we give our will to Jesus Christ, that does not mean that we don't have to deal with a sinful nature anymore. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who do not, what does it say? Walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life of Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. And that's what conversion does. It frees you so that you can choose to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. So this is what it looks like after conversion. Now, I want to share a couple quotations with you that give evidence that after baptism, we still have to deal with the carnal nature. There's some people that are very surprised after they get baptized. I was, you know, glorious Sabbath. You know, we serve cake downstairs. People lay hands on you, congratulate you. Then you wake up on Sunday morning You're like, wait a minute, I was baptized. What's the problem here? You still have this conflict, this sinful nature. And here's a couple quotations in regards to the life of the Apostle Paul. The life of the Apostle Paul was constant, was a constant conflict with what? With self. This is Paul. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. It was a constant conflict with self. His will and his desires every day conflicted with duty and the will of God. Christ Object Lessons 331. Likewise, for every converted, reborn, and justified Christian, the process of sanctification involves hard, stern battles with self. Meaning that baptism is just the first step. Surrender is just the first step. After this, you still have to deal with a sinful nature. Every single day, Paul had to die to self. Christ's object lessons goes on. It is not only at the beginning of the Christian life that this renunciation of self is to be made. At every advanced step heavenward, it is to be renewed. Only by constant renunciation of self and dependence on Christ can we walk safely. This is not something that is very popular, but it is a reality. There's a difference between becoming a Christian and remaining a Christian. And this is where a lot of people stumble in their Christian experience, is this daily conflict with self. Going back to our original passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, Paul points out the center of where this conflict really lies. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning this is not a physical battle, but it is a warfare nonetheless, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 
casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. They've accepted Christ, but he points out that the heart of the battle, the place where the battle really lies, is in our thoughts. That's where the battle is, in our thoughts. And I want to read another quotation here. It says that unless a determined effort is made to keep the thoughts centered on Christ, grace cannot reveal itself in the life. The mind must engage in spiritual, what does it say? In spiritual warfare. Now, as we talked about last week, the misconception that many people have, even Christians, is this type of notion that it doesn't matter if I think it, just as long as I don't do it. Isn't that right? In other words, you can think about revenge just as long as you don't carry it out. Now, how many of you would be comfortable if this screen behind me were to project a compilation of the thoughts that you had this past week. How many of you would be comfortable with that? Now, what Paul is telling us is that as a Christian, we need not only to have victory on the level of our actions, we need to have victory on the level of our thoughts. And we need to be in a mentality of warfare. Which means that when the thought comes in, this is not a passive verse. This is an attacking verse. It's talking about weapons, storming a fortress. This is talking about a battle, which means when a thought comes in, we're to be ready. We're to be engaged. We're to have a battle mentality. So many times we're just going through our day, just anything pops in. Oh, let me think about that a little bit, right? <laughs> Ooh, just daydreaming, castle building, imagining, all these types of things going on in our minds and in our consciousness. And the Bible says this is not the mentality we are to have. The Bible doesn't say just accept every thought that comes in. It says that we are to be engaged as if we are in war. And that is where the battle with self really lies. One part of it is surrender, and this is the other element, being in a state, a mentality of warfare. In Heavenly Places 162, even the thoughts must be brought into subjection to the will of God, and the feelings under the control of reason and religion our imagination was not given us to be allowed to run, what does it say? Riot. You know what that means? Just, just going everywhere. Just allowed to do anything. It said this was not the reason our imagination was given to us, to allow, be allowed to run riot and have its own way without any effort at restraint and discipline. The implication of what Paul is telling us is that we can control what we think about. Amen. Now, there are certain times when something just pops into your head. And as we talked about last week, you can't prevent birds from flying over your head, but you can prevent them from building a nest in it. Amen? So when the thought comes in, dismiss 
and replace. Dismiss and replace. And that is the mentality that we are to have as Christians. And notice the extent of the victory that Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. And bringing into captivity some thoughts. Is that what it says? Most thoughts. 99% of our thoughts. It says, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, this is radical. Which means that anytime a thought comes in that is unholy, that is unbiblical, the Bible says that you are to take that thought captive and take it out. Because what happens is that when that thought comes in and we entertain it, we let it knock around, we dwell upon it, we're told that the thoughts and feelings determine our moral character. And our character determines our destiny. When I read this passage, this is a radical call that the Bible is telling us to take as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventists, Bible-believing Christians that have accepted Jesus. This is the daily fight that we must each face. And the first step that we need to do is limit what comes in. And it is a challenge today with the media, the internet, and television, radio, magazines, and newspapers, the types of things that are coming into people's minds. And there is a media guide in Scripture. Do you know that? All right? So anytime you're about to sit down and watch something on Netflix... Turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Amen? All right? And if it passes this, you can watch it. Probably going to be National Geographic or something, right? All right. All right. Philippians 4, verse 8. Here it is. This is your media guide. Before you watch it, is it true? That eliminates a big portion. Is it honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of good report? That means worthy of praise. If there's any excellence, virtue, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. This is the media guide. So if it passes all these criteria, you can watch it. Amen? You can read about it. You can think about it. This is how we bring every thought into the obedience of Christ. Is first of all, limit what comes in. There needs to be a filter evaluate before you contemplate. In heavenly places, 164, we need a constant sense of the ennobling power of pure thoughts and the damaging influence of evil thoughts. Let us place our thoughts upon holy things. Let them be pure and true, for the only security for any soul is right thinking. We are to use every means that God has placed within our reach for the government and cultivation of our thoughts. So first of all, limit what comes in. And the other thing is, God has not left us in this warfare without any weapons. Amen? Notice the language. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, which means that God has given us weapons in order to deal with this citadel of the mind in controlling our thoughts. Now, notice this. These are offensive weapons. 
weapons in order to take a stronghold. These are not defensive weapons that Paul is talking about. And the offensive weapon that he talks about in another place, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword is an offensive weapon. Now, this is the imagery that Paul is giving us, that when an unholy thought comes in, right, an unbiblical thought, when an ungodly thought comes in, attack it with the Word of God. This is the mentality that Paul is giving us, which means that when something comes in that is unholy, unbiblical, you should be ready. All right, this is imagery that Paul is using, all right? Have your sword. Don't just be like, all right, I'm here. Just come on, all right? You should have a sword. You should have the Word of God armed and ready. We should be carrying particular promises from the Bible to do spiritual warfare. When the thought comes in, you should be ready with your sword. Amen? You should be armed. You should have an arsenal of scriptures that are there to meet every single temptation. This is the mentality that Paul is talking about in this passage. Have that promise. Have your sword ready for when the thought comes in, you attack it, capture it, escort it out. This is the imagery that Paul is giving. Now, I want to make this very practical. Here are some very simple promises that every one of us can claim. All right? If you have a pen and pencil, write these down. Someone's rude to you. Someone says something that gets under your skin. This happens every single day. Someone cuts you off at the supermarket line. Come on now. On 127, someone gets in front of you. You come to church. Someone says something that just doesn't sit right. You know what I'm talking about? And quote this promise. There's actually a song that I learned at Watch the Hills. All right, I won't sing it. I'll spare you, okay? But quote this promise. I quoted it regularly on a, on a basis that when something happens, this passage pops into my head. This is, this is the sword, okay? Someone annoys you. Someone some, does something evil to you. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's repeat that together, all right? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Someone does something to you that is evil. Have your sword. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. I love this quote from Ministry of Healing 486. Under a storm of stinging Fault-finding words. How many of you have been the recipient of this type of barrage of words? Under a storm of stinging, fault-finding words, keep the mind stayed upon the Word of God. Let the mind and heart be stored with God's promises. If you are ill-treated or wrongfully accused, instead of returning an angry answer, repeat to yourself the precious promises. And she gives this example in a different version. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. And repeat this, and repeat this, 
and repeat this until you have the peace of God. This is what it means to do spiritual warfare. That when the thought comes in, dismiss and replace with God's word. Another promise that we can claim. Psalms 101 verse 3. You're struggling with watching things that you should not be watching in the media. Psalms 101 verse 3. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. When the temptation comes, claim this promise. Dealing with temptations in general, James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he has tried, he will receive the crown of life. Temptation comes, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he has tried, he will receive a crown of life. And over time, you will get in the habit of dismissing and replacing. It will be very difficult to steal your joy. And that's what the devil wants to do. Something happens that takes away your joy because you have not dismissed and replaced. I talked a number of sermons ago about a gentleman Derek Morris that I went with on a trip to South Africa. It was after camp meeting, and uh, we spoke there, and we went on a safari together, and there was something about Derek Morris that was so appealing. I was like, man, I want to be like this man, because he was just oozing with Scripture. He had filled his mind with so many Bible passages that when he would open his mouth, That's all that would come out, it would seem like. Now, we would talk about other things, but he'd get in the car and he would quote a passage. You know, in the evening, we were stuck out there trying to find this rhino or this elephant, and we couldn't find it at all. We're freezing in the back of this safari place, and we're tempted to complain. And at the end of the trip, he just says a passage that comes out of his mouth. And he was so happy, just so joyous. It didn't matter what was happening. His mind was so filled with the Word of God that he had come to the place that it was his habit to think about God's Word in every single circumstance, every single situation. And this is where God is calling us to be as Christians. This is what Jesus did. Every temptation, he had a passage. Everything the devil brought, it is written. It is written. And this is what we are to do in the battlefield of our minds, in the battlefield of our thoughts. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. God is able to keep us from falling. And finally, the one that we can always claim in every situation, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We as Christians should be filling our mind with the Word of God. This should be the place that we want to go in every spare moment. Amen? The favorite thing that you want to think about should be Jesus. Amen? And Jesus is the Word. I want to close with this quotation, Ministry of Healing 491, we need a constant sense 
of the ennobling power of pure thoughts. The only security for any soul is right thinking. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The power of self-restraint strengthens by, what does it say? By exercise, which means that it may be difficult in the beginning, but by continually trying to think about God's word, it strengthens with exercise that which at first seems difficult by constant repetition grows easy until right thoughts and actions becomes, what does it say? Habitual. And by the grace of God, I want 2015 for myself and the University Seventh-day Adventist Church to be the year that we meditate upon the word. Can you say amen? amen? To be the year that each one of us are armed with the word of God, have an arsenal of promises, so when the thought comes in, we're ready. Amen? amen. We're ready with that passage, we're ready with that promise, and we capture that thought and we escort it out by thinking, meditating, and praying about the word of God. Is that your desire here today? Do you want the victory not only over your actions, but over your thought life? God has given us the weapon for this warfare in our minds. Let's stand together as we prepare to close here this morning. Every head bowed and eyes closed. God has been calling us here today to a higher place. Victory in our thoughts. And if today you want to say, Lord Jesus, I want to accept you as my personal Savior, I want to invite you into my heart today. I want to invite you to raise your hand if you want to say, Lord, come into my heart. God bless you. God bless you. My second appeal is this. If there's someone here today and you've been listening to the voice of God and you've heard him say, it's time to get baptized to prepare for baptism. doesn't mean that you're going to be baptized next week or the week after, but you want to prepare your heart for baptism and you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart and you want to say, Lord, I want to prepare for baptism. I want to invite you to raise your hand here this morning. God bless you, friend. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. You want to prepare for baptism. The Bible says, you must be born of water and of the Spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God. Is there someone else that wants to say, I want to prepare for baptism? Baptism is not graduation, friends. It doesn't mean you're perfect. Quite the contrary. It means that you're a sinner in need of grace. And you want to be born again. That's what baptism represents. There's someone else that wants to say, I want to prepare for baptism. My last appeal today if you want to make the commitment to hide the Word of God in your hearts, to be ready with that sword when the thought comes that is unsanctified and unholy, and you want to say, Lord Jesus, I want to do this, but I need your help. I want to hide your Word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Give me the victory over my thoughts. That's your prayer here today. I want to invite you to come forward for special prayer this morning. And say, Lord, help me on this, in this area of my life. Give me the victory over my thought life. Help me to be armed with Scripture. Give me the victory by your grace. Help me.
to hide the word of God in my heart. God bless you, friends. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you today for Jesus. We thank you for the gift of surrender, and we pray today that each one of us would pray that prayer. Lord, take my heart because I can't give it. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me from myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Today, we pray that you would give us the victory over our thoughts. Lord, we want to confess for unholy thinking, for entertaining thoughts that are straight from the devil, for entertaining thoughts of revenge, of hatred, of animosity, of indifference, of impurity. Lord, forgive us. And Father, we pray by your grace that you would help us to engage in this spiritual warfare in our minds, that when the unsanctified thought comes in, we would be ready with Scripture to capture that thought and to escort it out by meditating upon the Word of God. Help us to claim the promises to be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. To think thoughts that are pure and holy and righteous. To think thoughts of Jesus and of his love. Help us to apply the principle that by beholding, we can become changed. And we pray and claim the promise that when you come in the clouds of glory, that we will be like you. For we will see you as you are. For we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.